I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and um, we'll read from uh, the 15th verse of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning our reading at verse 15 of the chapter. Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto edif the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for ye are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to, the holy, uh, to his holy and precious word. We're thinking of verse 30 there at the start of it, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Let's unite together, please, in a word of prayer. Our gracious and our loving God, we approach thee today. We thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts we thank thee, Lord, for its instruction and even these practical things that have been outlined for us that are covered by the admonition that we want to look at. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst enable us not to grieve thee. We do in many ways, many times. We grieve thee by our waywardness. We can grieve thee by uh, the the, the uh, unwillingness that we have to walk in thy ways. But Lord, we pray that thou wouldst come in thy power 
and that we might be empowered by the Holy Spirit, infilled by the Holy Spirit today, that we might be mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Bless thy word and write it upon our hearts, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, we have been looking at the Holy Spirit over the last number of months, and when we started out, we we started by defining who the Holy Spirit was, and we established that the Holy Spirit is God and that he is a person. He's not a thing. He's not an influence or a force, as many people seem to think. And it's underlined by what we read here in this portion of Scripture, where we're told to grieve not the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't grieve an influence. You can't grieve a force. He has to be a person in order to be grieved. And we can see that in the portion of Scripture. And the fact that he can be grieved is a a, a proof of his personality. The Jehovah Witnesses and others tell us that the Holy Spirit is just an influence or a force but you can't just you can't grieve or vex an influence or a force. Not only do we see his personality here, but we see his sensitivity. In John chapter one, verse thirty-two, we're told, "And I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove." And the picture of the dove is one of sensitivity. The dove is a most sensitive bird. I read somewhere how that if you brought even a feather of a hawk near a dove, that it would tremble. And the Spirit of God certainly is sensitive, uh, sensitive to evil, sensitive to that which is in rebellion of God. And that's an expression of his love, as we will come to see. But Paul, in many ways, speaks of this fact that we can grieve or resist or quench the Holy Spirit. All of those words are used in the Word of God about the Holy Spirit. We read in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. We can resist Him. That's something that the unregenerate do. And if you're not saved, what you are doing is resisting the power of God. You're resisting the leading of the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's a description of you today. You are one who resists God. Then in his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says, quench not the Spirit. Now the word quench there is a word that means to extinguish, to stifle, to retard something. In Mark chapter 9, verse 48, it is used of putting out a fire. Or in Matthew 25, verse 8, it speaks of putting out a lamp. Uh, and that it just means to extinguish, to quench, to stifle, like pouring water on a fire. We can do that. Even as God's people, we can do that. Uh, as God wants to work in our midst, we can pour f- water on the fire. We, we can uh, do those things that stop the work of God and stifle the work of God. And it's an awful thing to think that we might be the means of stifling God working in his power amongst us. Last week we thought of the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Now, God has not lost any of his ancient power. He's still as powerful today as he was on the day of Pentecost. But what an awful thing if we should quench and pour water on the work of God in our community or in our midst or in, even in our own lives. And then we have the portion of Scripture that we want to take today. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. And that's slightly different. You can see the relationship between resisting or quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit. But we know that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. Now, this is something that God's people do. It's not something because when you grieve someone, there is that aspect of love there. And it is God's people, it's not the, outs the outsider, the unsaved, they resist the Holy Spirit. They can, they can uh, uh, seek to uh, stifle the Holy Spirit. But it is the child of God that grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, what an awful thing if you and I should be a grief to God. The, the Greek word there where it speaks of grieving not the Holy Spirit is a word that speaks of a deep emotion. It's not something on the outside. It's not just something that is uh, periphery or just uh, on the surface, but it is a grief that is deep. And we don't grieve a stranger. We grieve somebody that we love. Now, we'll not grieve away the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not going to leave us, but we can grieve him in what we do or what we say, and we don't want that. I'm sure that you don't want to grieve the Lord today. I, I am sure that if you're a child of God at all, you don't want to grieve him. So we want to think about grieving the Holy Spirit today. How can we do that, and how can we avoid it? And I just want us to think for a few minutes about this grieving of the Holy Spirit. Now, first of all, I want us to think about the fact of the Holy Spirit. It says here, grieve not the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be vexed. And you read about it many times, or, or at least a number of times in the Bible. In Psalm 78, verse 40, it speaks of how the children of Israel uh, rebelled against God in their wanderings in the wilderness. And it says, how, God says to them, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? So there's the thought of God being vexed and grieved by the actions of his people. Now, you might wonder about that if you were paying attention when we did the series on the attributes of God. One of the things that we said about God is that he is, uh, to use the theological term, and this is the only way I can do it, he, that God is impassable. Not impossible, but God is impassable. In other words, he is not affected by the emotions that you and I would have. He's not affected by what happens in the world or how it happens around us because God's unchangeable and God is omniscient. In other words, he knows all things. He knows what's going to come to pass. So it's not going to take him by surprise. He knows all the things that take place in the world. So um, you think about how 
you and I can be affected by the circumstances. Maybe we go out one day and everything is wonderful and we're enjoying life and everything is uh, as it should be. And then maybe suddenly we get bad news and that changes everything. Changes your day, changes your mood, changes your outlook and maybe uh, your future. Wouldn't depend on what kind of bad news you may get. But we are affected by the circumstances and by the things that happen. And those, there are many things that take us by surprise. And we are changed by those things. And it affects our mood and affects our way of going. But God is not like that. God cannot be affected by the circumstances or by the things that happen and by all of these things. But here we read that God is grieved. So is that a contradiction? Is, is that something that is a contradiction in Scripture? How can we explain if God is impassable and is not affected by things that take place? Well, how is he grieved? Well, it's very hard to explain that. It's one of the, actually one of them. We really can't explain that. It's one of the mysteries that you have in the Word of God. But could I say that it is one of those mysteries, while it's all beyond our understanding, we see it like the incarnation of the Son of God. Because he took upon him human flesh. And he came and he took on him human feelings and human passions. And it seems that in the same way, or in a similar way, the Holy Ghost, when he came to dwell in our hearts, he came to be draw alongside us and to feel with us. And it does seem, as in some way, the Holy Spirit uh, does feel uh, the, uh, some of the passions that we have. It's a mystery that, but nevertheless, we can see it as true because the Bible says here, that he is grieved. But what I want you to see is that being grieved, it shows his love. We said that this is a love word. Sage Spurgeon said this. He said, although the word grieve is a painful one, yet there's honey in the rock, for it is an inexpressibly delightful thought that he who rules heaven and earth and is the creator of all things and the infinite and ever-blessed God condescends to enter into such infinite relationships with his people that his divine mind can, may be affected by their actions. What a marvel that deity should be said to grieve over the faults of beings so utterly insignificant as we are. And he grieves when we do things that are wrong because he loves us. To truly grieve over a person, you have to love them. And we are the objects of his love. So while we don't want to grieve God, at the same time there's another side to it in that when we do grieve him, it shows that we are the objects of his love. But my, you don't want to grieve somebody that loves you. You, you don't want to in any way hurt someone that loves you. And that's what our portion of Scripture says here. He says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So we notice here the fact of the Holy Spirit's grieving. 
that he can be grieved. But then I want us to think about the factors of the Holy Spirit's grieving. How can we grieve him? Well, of course, there are many ways, but in the passage of Scripture, we have many indications of the different ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit by disobedience to his will. You can see the context here. And uh, in the portion of Scripture, in the context of verse 1 of chapter 4 here, Ephesians 4 verse 1, he says here, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So the Holy Spirit wants us to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. In other words, we are to be sanctified. This speaks of sanctification. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 38, it occurs in the midst of the uh, passage, which is an extended teaching on sanctification, on being holy. Now, what does being holy mean? It means being separate, separate from the world, separate from sin, separate from the things that would defile us and the more we go on and the more we are sanctified, it's a process of separation from the flesh and for longings after the world, and the more we'll have longings after God. And of course, there's a perfect goal. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, I want to be like Christ. I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. David the psalmist said, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. He said that he would be pleased if he was like Christ. Paul said in Galatians 4.19, My little children of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. So we, as God's people, were to be holy, and we're to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said to the Colossians that it was desire for them to come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he says in verse 13 of this passage, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's God's desire for you and me. And we grieve him when that's not happening, when we're not becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Shorter Catechism defines sanctification as a work of God's free grace, wherein we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled uh, more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So we are dying more and more to sin, living more and more to righteousness. But if that's not happening in your life and mine, we're grieving God. We're grieving the Holy Spirit. I wonder today if we are becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. There's got to be sanctification. And then You'll notice in the passage of Scripture, it says something about harmonization. If you look at verse 
3 of Ephesians chapter 4, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And of course, the uh, admonition to grieve not the Holy Spirit is set in the midst of all that he's just said. He says uh, also there, let all, verse uh, 31, just after he uh, says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So we grieve the Holy Spirit when there's any sense of bitterness, when we have something against a brother or a sister. Now, we might feel justified in that, and we might be justified in what we think about others. But I want you to see that this portion of Scripture says that it should not be that we harbor bitterness or anger or wrath or malice. A.W. Tozer made a chilling observation about those that make an excuse for their anger or for their bitterness. And he said this, provocation cannot stir up what is not there. It never adds anything to the human heart. It merely brings up out, uh, uh, brings out what is already present. It does not change the character. It simply reveals it. And there's, th then he said this, what a man does under provocation is what he is. Provocation does not create the moral muck. It brings it to the surface. And you know, the point is simple there. How we respond to each other, how we love one another or don't love one another is just bringing up what is under the surface. But I want you to see that if we're not in harmony, if there's not that right relationship between brethren and sisters, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. That behavior destroys relationship, and it needs to be eliminated in our lives. There needs to be harmonization. And then there needs to be association. Look at verse 3 again of the portion, Ephesians 4. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And I want you to see there that God's desire for us is for fellowship. Fellowship in the gospel. And we should have association one with another. We should come along and worship God together. Now I know that there's sickness and there's different reasons why people, um, accidents or whatever it is, that people can't get along to the meeting. And that, that's fair enough. We take that into account. But dear friend, if we are fit and well, and if we can, we need to make sure we're fellowshipping with God's people. Iron sharpeneth iron, so the face of man his friend. And God has ordained that we come together and that we meet together around the Word of God and that we praise God together. There needs to be association. And if we're not doing it, if we're staying away, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Something else. We need occupation. Look at verse 7. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So every one of us is a gift, a gift that we need to be using. If you look at uh, verse 11 there, he says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets 
and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he says that some people are given the gift of uh, apostleships, some uh, are pastors and teachers. Some of these gifts have gone now in this day and generation. But the principle is still the same, that we have gifts that God has given us. There are other gifts that God gives. Now, what he's saying is that we need to use them for the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry. Now, God may have given you a gift, and a gift and a talent is a different thing. But God may have given you a gift, and it may be expressed in the talents that you've been given. But nevertheless, God has given you a gift. Some of you have the gift of being able to talk to people, to draw along. You have the gift of friendliness, maybe. It's not a, a scriptural gift, but it's a gift that God has maybe given you. And you're able to do that. And God wants you to use that. Some of you have been given the gift of being able to speak or to teach. And you need to be using that. Some of you have been given the gift of evangelism. You have a way of getting to people and speaking to them about their soul, about the things of God. And that's something for every child of God. But some people have a particular gift for that. And if we're not using our spiritual gifts then we grieve the Holy Spirit. We need to be using them. It say, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, and he said, Stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Stir it into a fire again. Use it for the extension of God's kingdom. Something else that is the will of God, submission. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. He says, put pride away. Look at verses 20 and 21. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. In other words, don't be walking in your own thoughts and in your own desires and according to you, the dictates of your own thoughts, but respond to the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. He leads us in the way that we should go. go. And if we're not being led by the Holy Spirit of God, then we're grieving the Holy Spirit. We need to be careful that what we do in life is according to the direction that God wants us to go in. We uh, he leads us along the pathway of life. And then he leads us upward. He leads us towards God, as it were, towards uh, our worship of God, to look upward, if we put it like that. We need time with God. We need to spend time with God. We need to spend time in the Scriptures. And we need to spend time with God in prayer. And certainly, if we're not doing that, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. How much time do we spend with God? Do we, uh, as it were, recognize him and say, Abba, Father? Do we, do we take time uh, to have communion and intimacy with God? Do we know God speaking to us? Do we know his presence? Maybe the fact that we don't know his presence and we don't hear him speaking to us is because we have grieved him and we need to say sorry. 
And we need to repent. And we need to get back to that place of intimacy where we meet with him in the place of prayer and we get to know him better. And we need, and if we want to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to know him. You, you get to be like the people that you spend time with and their influence rubs off on you. And it's the same with the Lord in a, in a more wonderful way. If we, if we want to be like the Lord, we've got to spend time with the Lord. So are we doing that? Are we in communion with God? Or are we grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit because we are spending time away from God? These are some of the ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Lord says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. But one more thing I want you to see, and that's what we're going to call the forbidding of the Holy Spirit's grieving. He says here, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. And we're forbidden here uh, to grieve the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, how or why should we not grieve the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that question really shows the difference between Christian ethics and the world's ethics. Now, an unsaved person can live a perfectly moral life. Can, can an unsaved person live uh, an outward morality without Christ? And the, question, the answer to that is yes, they can. Can a person follow a set of rules and be upright in the sight of society and in the sight of the world? And the answer to that is yes, they can. There are many people that do it, uh, but it's just an outward appearance. The darkness of their heart is not dealt with. But people can live outwardly a moral life, an upright life, and they can live in this country a life which is conforming to a set of biblical standards and uh, Christian standards, because that's where our ethical standards in this part of the world come from. They come from the Bible. But the Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And while people, unsaved people, can live an upright life, they do it just on an outward but what's the difference between why a child of God does not want to grieve the Holy Spirit? And the, the reason why we do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit is because we love him. We think of the one who bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Our sins put the Lord Jesus Christ on the center cross of Calvary. And it's every one of our sins that he bore there on that cross, that were poured out upon him, and the wrath of God was poured upon him because of your sin and my sin. And we don't want to grieve the Lord by pouring out uh, or, or having to bear our sin. He took our sins and his, our sorrows. But my dear friend, we don't want in any way to add to the burden that he bore there on the cross of Calvary. We stand upright. We want to be holy. 
because we love him. And then we want to be holy. We want not to grieve the Holy Spirit because if we do grieve him, we lose his presence. We don't have his presence day by day. We don't have the assurance and the joy and the peace that we have when we have the Holy Spirit walking with us and in communion with us fully. We think of how it says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And the Christian is supposed to be a person with joy, unspeakable and full of glory, filling their hearts. And yet there are so many Christians and they're, kind, they're cast down and they're joyless and worried and fearful and they've no peace in their hearts. Why is that? It's because we've grieved the Holy Spirit. We don't experience the joy of his presence, the reality of his presence day by day. And the joy and, and the uh, peace and the assurance and the enfolding arms of God are not our experience day by day. Why? Because we have grieved the Holy Spirit. Do you feel his presence day by day? Do you know that joy and that peace that there ought to be? Well, maybe the reason why, if you have to say that you don't experience day by day, or, or you, it's not as powerful an experience as once it was, maybe the reason why that is so is because we have grieved the Holy Spirit. Maybe the reason why we don't have the power that we ought to have is because we have grieved the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's the case, what do we need to do? We need to say sorry. We, we need to go. If you've grieved somebody, if you've grieved anybody, what do you do? You go and say, sorry, I've grieved you. I, I did this and I did that and I know I shouldn't have done it. I need to say sorry. And maybe that's what we need to do today. We need to go to God and say sorry. I repent. Lord, I haven't grown in grace. I haven't spent time in communion. I haven't spent time listening to thy word. I haven't been in your presence. And I need to say sorry. And I want your presence. And I want your peace. And I want your joy. And I want your assurance. And I want your power. Day by day. I wonder today if we've got to confess and say we have grieved the Holy Spirit of God. Well, what, at least it's a, a mercy today that we've found it out. At least it's a mercy today that we've been confronted with it. And may we come with all repentance before God and say sorry and let's experience the peace and the joy of his presence day by day. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in the wee word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do come to thee today, and we do confess that we have grieved thee. We haven't walked as we ought to walk. We haven't been led as we ought to have been led. We, did, we don't experience thy grace and thy joy, the way that we ought to experience it. O oh Lord, 
Come, we pray. We confess our need to Thee. Come and cleanse us in Thine own precious blood. Give us the power and the strength and the joy that we ought to have for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Can we sing a couple of verses of 411? I want, dear uh, dear Lord, a heart that's true and clean, a sun-lit heart with not a joy, uh, with not a cloud between. Verses 1 and 3, and we'll stand as we sing. loving God and our gracious Father, take us to our homes in safety now. Put thy hand upon us. We pray, Lord, that thy grace and mercy might be our portion, that thou wouldst be with us throughout this day, and bless us as we gather again this evening around thy word. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen.